Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. To Jamie Loftus, thanks for everything, Caitlin Durante. Wow, we really just mad libs to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Just picture that with like me having written that in Sharpie on a framed photograph of me where I'm looking extremely statuesque. Love an inciting incident that revolves around a framed photograph. It's Mm. good. There's actually, I feel like for that, it would be either like we would be sitting at the table and it would be either a, it would be like an Alfred Molina headshot, which by the way, we are recording on his birthday. Happy Happy birthday, birthday, Alfred. To Mr. Alfred. Um, but yeah, it would be it would be to Jamie and Caitlin. Thanks for everything, Alfred Molina. Wow, that would be real. I mean, a dream come true. If we're already pitch, if we're already pitching ideas, uh, <laughs> I think that that's a strong place to start. Welcome yeah. to the Bechtel cast, by the way. By the way, <laughs> it's it's me, Caitlin Durante from the photograph. It's me, uh, Jamie Loftus. I'm referenced in the photograph with mm-hmm. the pictures of Caitlin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, This is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation about representation and such in film. Film. Yeah. (laughs) It's 2021. We added an extra uh, an extra syllable to film. Uh, and the uh, the Bechtel test, if you don't know, was a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. There's many vi- different versions of this test. Here's our little spin on it. Uh, for our version of the Bechtel test, uh, there must be 
two named characters of a marginalized gender who speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. And guess what? Hmm. The dialogue has to be plot-wise meaningful somehow. Not like (laughs) the biggest thing that happens in the movie, but not something that is like, oh, they passed it by accident. I'm sick of handing it to movies that pass it by accident. God damn it. We won't take it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Brave of us. Incredibly brave. Um, So today's movie is, if you didn't guess by my amazing introduction or by reading (laughs) the title of the episode, is Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Long time request. I think this has been on our list for a couple of years at this since point, the beginning been, yeah yeah since the beginning and i understand why because there's a lot to talk about and yeah. to join us in that discussion we've got an amazing comedian she's the host of the podcast sweet a lady's guide to bro culture uh, she's got live tour dates coming up in the fall because we're gonna be able to do shows again it's ah. gina bloom Hey, hi. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me on this on this most auspicious uh day of Molina. <laughs> it is a very very special day. Uh, I, I love an Alfred Molina. So, here we are. Well, you've come to the right place <laughs> on, on this very special day. Yes. Oh, what a treat if he I don't I mean, I don't know. Alfred Molina, he was working in 95. He could have been in this movie. You know, not high profile enough. This is a very high profile movie. Mm. Yeah. And higher profile than I I thought it was. Apparently this was, there was like a little bit of like a, a, like a war between leading actors trying to get on this. Like they really went for it. The people who were considered for the Vita Boheme character is like every A-lister from nineteen ninety five. Wikipedia page. It's <laughs> yeah. wild. From nineteen ninety five. Yeah, John Cusack looking like his sister Joan, which is a huge upgrade. So <laughs> no idea why he didn't keep that going, but there we okay. go. <laughs> Billy Baldwin. There are some there's like everyone you would expect, and then some wild cards, such as Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. What, James Spader? I was like, I James oh, okay. Spader, yeah. Yeah, John Turturro. I was like, okay, we got some character actors in the mix here. Sure, uh, Tom Cruise was one of them. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Robert Downey Jr., um, Matthew Broderick, Mel Gibson, Boo. Boo, um, yeah. I, I feel I feel that Broderick probably could have brought it, although I'm not a huge fan, but um, yeah. I do I do love the idea of an alternate universe Willem Dafoe as, as Vida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. There, there is something special about that. It's <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, every every working white man at this time uh auditioned for this part mm-hmm. and uh Swayze won the day. Yeah. Yeah, Swayze is uh, I I I love a Patrick Swayze movie and I guess the weird thing about this movie is, is that I've never seen it until until now and I've seen almost I think literally every other Patrick Swayze movie. No way. Really? Wait, so this was your yeah. first time seeing the movie? It's my first time watching this. <gasps> yeah. And so just to give you some idea about, you know, my personal like story with this movie yeah, is tell that us everything. Well, I, I'm a trans lady and so when you're growing up, you know, in the South, which in the part of Florida that I grew up in is the South. So people mm-hmm. are like, You didn't grow up in the South, you grew up in Florida. Like then no. No, Tampa, Florida is the South, trust me. <laughs> and you know, I heard of the movie. I'd seen the the commercials. You know, you watch it on back in the day at the VHS tape, and you'd see the commercials and all that. And I'm like, 
And in my head, I was like, I should watch this. I am a trans person. I didn't know, I didn't know what the words were, but like, it was mm-hmm. too, it was too much for my head to take. And like all my little miscreant friends were like, that movie, uh-uh, I'm not going to watch that. that they, there's gay stuff going on in there. And like, you know, that little like cloistered world, it just, it just got by me. And mm-hmm. like, I'd always wanted to watch it, but you know, it was in during that time when I, I just couldn't bring myself to it and then by the time i could there's all kinds of other stuff to watch so here i am wow i didn't know you hadn't seen it before wild finally yes that's why i picked it i was like oh my god i've never seen this let's do this what was your broad impression of it i'm so curious you know um it was a little it was a little um it was a lot of fun uh, <laughs> first of all it's a it, it's a fun it's a fun silly light film mm-hmm. and you know what that's fine like I like I read on the Wikipedia page where like a lot of the straight male reviewers are like this is nothing special and I'm like well I mean it is though it's it's a <laughs> queer movie it's a very gay movie put out by you know a studio mm-hmm. so that is by definition something special it was really it was kind of confusing in in 2021 the mm. movie didn't seem to know the difference between trans women and, and drag queens this is true yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. So it took place in some weird world where drag queens just went around in drag 24 hours a day. All the time, including when they're in bed where they have their wigs on and their makeup still on and they're like about ready to go to bed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're in a full face. They're they're tucked in. They got the tape. They got everything going. And it's like, no. <laughs> There was a very fun, um, I found a, I'd not heard of this YouTube channel before, but it's a drag queen movie review channel. So Mm. I was like, oh, this is perfect. And uh, the drag queen who runs the channel, uh, James Mansfield, brings that up right away of just like, where, what planet does this movie take place on? (laughs) Some some weird drag planet. And I had read, you know, I read a, an article about you know, I think it was like the 20th anniversary. This is from a few years ago, sure. and the uh, the screenwriter was like, um, "Who is a who is a gay man?" He he was like, "I wanted to make a world where it was like it was like a fantasy world, and like it doesn't have to be realistic. I just wanted it to be fabulous all the time. So I kept the drag queens in drag all the time, <laughs> which is a very white gay man perspective on on transness, which mm-hmm. for sure. you know." I, you know what? It's 1995. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to like, just deal with the fact that things are gonna be a little weird for a movie made in 1995. Uh, a product of its time. <laughs> the 1995 is really popping out at yes, multiple points. We're just like, there's a lot of 95 going on in here. <laughs> Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? I saw it for the first time in college, and I have not watched it since, and that was like 15 years ago. So I've spent this whole time since then under the impression that this was a movie about drag queens, which, to be fair, is what the movie thinks the movie is about. (laughs) And then I saw it again a year ago, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about three trans women as far as my interpretation goes. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'd only seen it like one time before, like in my youth. And then again, more recently. Three trans women who don't know how to dress for comfort. <laughs> as, <laughs> right. 
as a as a trans woman that has been all across the country, I can tell you that is not how you dress for the South. That is not that is not how you dress for the weather, ladies. Or a road trip, like or any of that. <laughs> it's not comfortable, you guys. Yeah, they drive clear across the country. I was like, how? Mm. Oh God. So yeah, I don't I don't have a, a an extensive history with it, but I do find this movie very fascinating, and I'm excited to dive deeper into it. Uh, Jamie, what's your relationship with it? Uh, I had never seen this movie all the way through. I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it over the years. I think I think this was. I I feel like I've given this answer for this show a bajillion times, but I believe there was a heavily edited version of this movie that used to air on TNT uh, <laughs> that that I had seen bits and pieces of. But this was basically my first time seeing it all the way through, and uh, I mean, holy cow! There's so <laughs> there's there's so much to talk about. I didn't, this is the smallest thing, but I was like, oh, Stockard Channing. It took me so long to figure out who, Stockard Channing's kind of a chameleon. I feel like mm. she looks so different. I recognize uh, Lady Stockard immediately. I, I am <laughs> I, I am a Stockard fan from way back. I ran into her in 2007 <gasps> at a Kukuru, a restaurant in California. God, you know, RIP Kukuru, oh. but like. There in Burbank, I was standing behind Stalker Channing, and I just wanted to gush, oh but I left her alone. She oh. ordered her chicken and left, but like, yes, I immediately like, oh, that is Stalker Channing. Nice. That works. That works for me. Wow. Love I love the, just the image of Stalker Channing ordering her chicken and leaving. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> It was it it was it was my it was my Wong Fu Julie Newmar moment. Yeah, uh -huh. Channing is she's up there. She's up there with like Jodie Foster as far as like my my white lady um, mentors. <laughs> they don't know they are, but they are <laughs> beautiful. But yeah, in terms especially in terms of like the production history of this movie, I was very much in the dark. So it was it was really interesting to learn. I mean, first of all, just like watching the movie all the way through there's so much and then learning about the production there's also so much so i'm yeah i'm mm -hmm. stoked to talk about it should i recap it and we'll go from there yes yeah let's party okay so tonally this movie is very light and rompy but i do want to do a quick uh, trigger warning at the top because there is uh, sexual assault that happens um okay so we meet vita bohem that's patrick swayze and Noxima Jackson, that's Wesley Snipes. They are drag queens, according to the movie, uh, competing <laughs> in a drag queen of the year pageant in New York City. Ever heard of it? <laughs> also, there is Chichi Rodriguez, played by John Leguizamo. RuPaul is there as Miss Rachel Tensions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Ru <laughs> yes, okay. Let's, let's discuss RuPaul. <laughs> let's just get through the RuPaul part because RuPaul enters in a Confederate flag dress, first of all. Yes. yes. I was like, wow, RuPaul is literally just like stopping by before going back to like the fracking fields. <laughs> like what is just there was a lot. And I know that there's, I, I, I read that there were a number of iconic, I guess, 90s era New York drag queens in that scene as well. And I don't mm -hmm. have the back yes, balance. Absolutely. Who boy, RuPaul. Oh, really? yeah. In the rebel flag dress. I mean, the figure was good. It was nice to see Ru as, as, as a youngin, but mm -hmm. like that, that dress. <laughs> 
that was not good. But it also, it also, it, it signified, like, it, it, it alerted you to the fact that there's a lot of, like, racist humor in this movie, and you're going to be hearing a lot of it. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah. Well, it didn't even connect for me on my first rewatch of the movie. It wasn't until I was rewatching it a second time to prep for this episode that I remembered that RuPaul's drag name in this movie is Rachel tensions and i was like yeah. oh that's why that does explain she's the wearing yeah. the confederate flag dress but that 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 beat isn't really stepped on so you just Mm-mm. so it's just rupaul in, in a confederate flag dress and you're like huh and right. like knowing that it was all written by a white guy you're just like what the no yeah mm-hmm. you know just a reminder that RuPaul fracks. It's just never a fact that gets <laughs> yeah. old for me. Ru- RuPaul fracks in a in a in a Confederate flag dress. <laughs> is what I'm canon. As is only a the only appropriate outfit to frack in. <laughs> oh yikes! Um, so Rachel Tensions is there to announce the winner of this competition. Uh, the prize for which is a trip to Hollywood, California. And it's a tie between Noxima Jackson and Vita Boem. And Chi-Chi is devastated that she didn't win. So Vita takes pity on her and invites her along on the trip to Hollywood. And while they're at a bar trying to figure out the logistics of how this trip with the three of them will work, in which we get a cameo from... Robin Williams. Yeah, who I guess had a big hand in making this movie happen, too. Which yeah. I thought was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, always happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like he, he had wanted to play the lead, mm-hmm. um, but he felt that it was he was physically inappropriate, which is the correct response, Robin. Mm-hmm. And then got Steven Spielberg's involvement in getting the movie made. So it, it's surprisingly star-studded, this mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I I did not know. I realized that this was an Amblin joint when when I was going into it and reading the, the reading the history of like how that happened. There was like a great piece in the Advocate that was kind of this oral history of the at the time the one out producer at Amblin really pushed mm-hmm. for this movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting story. I just didn't realize. I was like Steven Spielberg. All right, sure. He really was. Absolutely everywhere in the nineties. <laughs> he he owned ninety five. Yes, he absolutely. <laughs> um, so while they're at this restaurant, Vita notices a framed picture behind her, and written on it says to Wang Fu, "Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar." So Vita steals the photo to take with them on the trip as sort of like a good luck charm. So they leave for their trip in an old Cadillac convertible. They stop in Vita's hometown. We find out that she is estranged from her rich family. And they also live in a castle. They live in a castle. They live in an absolute castle, yes. (laughs) Somewhere in Pennsylvania. Yes. (laughs) Then they talk about what it means to be a drag queen. And they say that Chi-Chi isn't a full-fledged queen yet. She's still just a princess and that there are these like four undefined steps that she has to take before she's a full drag queen complicating that though is before they refer to chichi as a princess they refer to her as a boy in a dress which mm-hmm. is complicated because on the one hand chichi is very obviously a trans woman but on the other hand the film doesn't acknowledge that so it's 
it's a it's a muddled message to say the least. Right. There's a monologue from Noxima in this scene that we will unpack in a in a little bit because oh oh wow is it outdated. <laughs> yeah. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yes. I had to watch it three or four times and be like, okay, what it is it <laughs> it as a trans lady that's experienced 1995, I can tell you that's, that's about what 1995 was like. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just gonna, yeah, we're just gonna have to deal with it. We have to deal with the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So then, a little while later, they pull off for the night, and they have to be like careful about where they stay because they know about this very real possibility that people will be cruel and intolerant toward them. Um, but then they go to this, they find this hotel where the concierge mistakes them for members of a women's basketball team. So they're like, woohoo. And then they set off again. They drive for a while. They get lost. It's dark. It's late. They're in the middle of nowhere. And then they get pulled over. And Sheriff Dullard has stopped them and asks Vita to step out of the vehicle. He then assaults her. She fights back and knocks him out, and uh, they think he might be dead. So then they. I really wish he had just died. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it have been a treat? <laughs> that would. Have, that would have been a treat. The film would have been without conflict, but that's okay. Didn't need this guy at all. Could have found another way. Right. I right. don't know why I was so shocked when he turned out to not be dead, but I was. Uh, it was deeply disappointing. Yeah, and I also, I'm like, I love that they just leave him for dead. <laughs> they just <laughs> frantically flee the scene. They make a quick stop, but then the car won't start back up again. So they hitch a ride and end up getting stuck in this small town for a few days while their car gets fixed. A local woman, Carol Ann, that's Stockard Channing, uh, offers them a room in her house, and they have to just hang out for these few days while the like part comes in to fix their car so Vita, Noxy, and Chi Chi make the best of it they befriend the local ladies give them makeovers help them plan this upcoming strawberry social Mm -hmm. Um, some of the local men are harassing everybody so yeah but the movie's like but it's a but it's a joke you're like but... yeah the, the the random gang of toughs was undeveloped to say the least um yeah there was a random there's a random gang of of small town toughs that <laughs> just annoy people for some reason and also seem like they are about to assault chi chi in one yeah. scene yeah and then uh don't worry vita and noxy teach them some manners yeah, they get they get scolded one time. They get and... straightened out. <laughs> then they learn their lesson. Right, right. There's a lot of that going on in this town. A lot of uh, being reprimanded one time. A lot of lessons learned here. Mm. Yeah, uh, including so uh, Carol Ann has an abusive husband who they run out of town. Also, uh, Chi Chi has been flirting with this man, Bobby Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, but a young woman named Bobby Lee is in love with him. So Vita, Noxy, and Chi Chi help Bobby Lee pair off with Bobby Ray. Isn't Bobby Ray one of the dazed and confused guys 
Am I like? Oh, yeah, he is. I'm pretty yeah. sure he is. Okay, okay, because I was like, he's familiar. Well, they're twin brothers, so he's either the Dazed and Confused guy or he's that guy's brother. <laughs> okay. there, but they're twins. But yes, that is true. Wow. You know what? I don't even want to solve the mystery. I'm yeah. just gonna. I'm just gonna live with the mystery. <laughs> Let the mystery be. Yes. <laughs> Um, so meanwhile, Sheriff Dullard, who did not die, is going around looking for Vita and her friends. And then Carol Ann's abusive husband, Virgil, runs into Sheriff Dullard, who presumably tells Dullard about Vita, Noxie, and Chi-Chi, because then Dullard shows up to the town demanding to know where they are, but then the whole town, like, shows up to protect them and sends Dullard on his way. It's kind of like Spartacus style, the way it happens. Oh, yeah. Yes, very much <laughs> yeah. so. Yes, mm-hmm. a very Spartacus ending. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so Vita, Noxie, and Chi-Chi are very touched that the town stood up for them. Um, everyone celebrates at the Strawberry Social. Carol Ann wishes them a farewell. Vita gives her the photo of Julie Newmar. And then they leave. And then the movie ends with the Drag Queen of America contest in Hollywood, California. Ever heard of it? And Julie Newmar crowns the winner, who is Chi Chi. And that is the movie. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Where do we want to start here? (laughs) Where, Where should we begin? Yeah. Well, as we touched on already, this movie does not really understand <laughs> no it doesn't uh, purposely <laughs> purposely does not understand because it i mean it took place in, it's 1995 it's not 1962 like they knew mm. they just chose 
to do it this way. Like they knew that drag queens and trans women are not the same thing, but they mm-hmm. they're like, no, we're gonna do it this way. Yeah, I have to imagine it was a an attempt to maybe appeal to a more widespread audience to leave it intentionally vague. Yeah, I well, I think it's yeah that I think it's just the visuals because you know they're they're going for this idea you know with the stunt casting that we're gonna cast these like alpha male action guys mm-hmm. as drag queens so we can never not show them in drag otherwise they're just gay men and that's not that's not high concept enough for 1995 mm, right like they like they really wanted to like just drive home the visuals so they could you know pump the uh you know the, the trailer full of like funny music mm. so i'm sure that's what they were thinking yeah and that's just that's just the reality of the film the trailer is so bizarre. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but it's yes. like Wesley Snipes. Yeah. And then you like see him, see footage of him in action movies he's done. In other movies. <laughs> yes. You see him in like Passenger 57 beating people up. Yeah. It goes, it, it shows Wesley Snipes clips. It says he's been a killer and a commando. And then it cuts to like Patrick Swayze clips. It says he's been a heartthrob and a hero. They don't introduce john leguizamo at all and then they just cut to the and then the actual trailer starts it's yeah very bizarre and then it's something like in their most physically challenging role yet and then it like cuts to them in drag and you're like mm-hmm. okay if you insist 1995 it yeah. was 1995 it was 95 yes we're gonna say that five thousand times in this episode <laughs> It's going to be the title of the episode. It was 1995. <laughs> Just deal with it. Um, so, yeah, another distinction that we should make is that while drag queens have traditionally been thought of as cis gay men who do drag, of course, there are lots of trans and non-binary and yeah, genderqueer people absolutely. who are also drag performers. The and two are not mutually exclusive. Yes. But again, this but movie... The mission of the film was that these were drag performers, not trans women. Although you watch the movie, like, these are trans women. And then if you read John Leguizamo's interviews, he's like, no, I played this as a trans woman. Like, this is this is not a drag queen that I'm, that I'm performing as. Right. So, so he got it. He got it. And he said, like, if this movie were to be remade today, they should cast a Latina trans woman. Yes, absolutely. To play that part. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we in our 2021 lens understand this. Uh, We we get it. We get it. We're smart. (laughs) Just your episode, Lee, reminder. We are smart. (laughs) We are smart. And we in in the year is 2021. Yes. I honestly, I mean, I was surprised because there was so much or not so much, but there was a fair amount written about this movie at at its 20 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to not see like the writer of the movie pressed a little more on this. I wasn't able to find any examples of also Douglas Carter Bean, very fancy name. Don't know anything about his background, <laughs> but uh, Douglas Carter Bean is a funny name. And he it's it says on his Wikipedia page he often writes works with sophisticated drawing room humor. So he's he's just a fancy uh, person, <laughs> a fancy man. Uh, He's a fancy lad. We get it. Douglas Carter Bean. Uh, but Douglas no one, Carter Bean. No one seems to have ever really pressed him on 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 this. And it's his only uh, film project. He's otherwise worked almost exclusively on stage. I just thought it was like kind of... I was honestly just expecting him to have commented on it at some point, And he never has. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I have a quote from him where he says, quote, my inspiration for the script came from watching the religious right videotape, The Gay Agenda. There's a scene where they show drag queens going through a town and the narrator is warning viewers that these people will take over your town. And I thought, well, that would be fun. Unquote. So yeah, you know, and I read that too, and that that is a that is a funny, funny, uh, it's a funny inspiration. Yeah, you know, I don't get me wrong. Yes, we 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 have we have well established that this film has an incorrect depiction of trans women, but on the other hand, it is kind of funny that the movie simply is that it's just drag queens taking over a town, and that that in itself is a funny idea, which it generally accomplishes, in my opinion. Like, I have to kind of turn off my, my, my sensors, my 2021 sensors a little bit, but like, I think just going with the flow sometimes, I, I get on the movie's wavelength because of that. I mean, to enjoy a movie, we often must turn yes, off absolutely. <laughs> those, le- those lenses, those goggles, take off the Bechtel cast goggles, etc. Because there are elements to this movie that are like really just like road movie romp stuff is going on there's yeah it, it is like at its heart a road trip movie mm-hmm. and there's a party at the end and i know caitlin you're generally anti-prom wedding party at the end but i'm like there's a party at the end and everyone's wearing red you know yeah. what i didn't mind it i mean i don't mind a general party at the end of a movie i just specifically don't like proms and weddings because of the connotations they generally carry but i liked the strawberry festival the strawberry festival you're like yeah sure I, this is probably the only thing that happens at this place all year what's funny is that where i grew up in florida had a strawberry festival and it was <laughs> really it was yes yes i grew up near plant city florida which is where the strawberry festival in florida is and it was never this it was never this fabulous never <laughs> they never coordinated colors they never did any of that this was a way better strawberry there festival. was never a red and wild theme <laughs> Never, no, never a theme period. It was just carnies. That was it. (laughs) That was the theme. Every every town-wide party should start with running the sheriff out of town. I think that that really sets the vibe in a fun way. Yes, I agree. Yeah, this movie, it, it was fun. Like, despite the many, 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 many problems, it was, it was good natured. And like, being good natured scores a decent amount of points with me because a lot of a lot of trans movies and I'm gonna call this a trans movie, even though it, it doesn't call itself that. Sure. A lot of trans movies don't don't have joy. Like a lot of mm. movies about trans characters, they're, they're miserable. The people are like the women, the men, whatever. They generally are just miserable. I I was up for a role, I turned it down because it was basically a trans woman, a drag performer, trans woman. It was kind of the same thing, where mm. the writer didn't really understand the difference. And it was basically this this person just gets beat up for 20 minutes and then just gives up on their dreams. And it's like, and they're like, I could see you in this role. I get, you can? Like, like I, I hope not because I'm a happy person. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, like you mentioned, Gina, this coming out from like this movie came out as a like a major studio release. It had huge yeah. bankable stars in it. It opened as the number one movie for like the first two weeks of its of it being released. Yes. So a lot yes. of people saw it. And also let's not forget that this movie came out like at the height of the AIDS epidemic in yeah. right. the US. So for this to be 
such a major movie that is just such a like fun campy romp yeah not without its problems but a romp nonetheless and that it wasn't you know tragedy porn the way that so many right trans movies are Mm. that's something (laughs) i i was so inspired by this movie that i ordered susan sontag's on camp essay off of amazon Mm-hmm. But I was not inspired enough to actually read it. So <laughs> so I almost movie, almost. So close. Honestly, that I feel like that it is like it's a middle of the road, you know? It's yeah. like I'll spend four dollars, but will I follow through? I don't know. I'll I'll get to that. I'll get to that Sontag essay someday. <laughs> but it, it did inspire me to like, you know, reacquaint myself with the theory of camp. You know, it's it's something mm. that I've I've you know, hey, I've been I live it. I, I have a campy life, mm. so it yeah, I I felt inspired enough to like, do that. So it's it's fun. Yeah, and now Susan will just be waiting for you. Yes, I, Susan and I we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll do brunch later. I'm busy. There, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, the 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 context of this movie is very. Uh, I. I get we're just gonna keep saying it. like the context of this movie is so specific that like understanding the exact circumstances this movie was produced and released into was mm-hmm. at least it, it it didn't solve the problems but it, it at least kind of contextualized them a little bit where like you were both just saying the the fact that this is a movie that is fundamentally like created on joy it's fun it's funny yeah. it's a comedy at its core at the height of the AIDS epidemic, like was, was, uh, it seemed, and that seemed like it was a big motivating factor in making the movie where there's this piece on the advocate by Mitch Cohn, who used mm-hmm. to work at Amblin and then later became a teacher. His life story is interesting. We'll, we'll link it in the episode, but essentially he was the only out employee at Amblin for a long time mm-hmm. and really advocated for this movie to get made, particularly because of wanting to see a movie that had just had joy in it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing I thought was kind of interesting about it so the the director of this movie i did not i have not heard of this person before but apparently she also directed a bridget jones uh beben kidron mm-hmm. am i saying yeah. that right i think so yeah beben kidron i think that's right with all due respect to beben kidron if i'm getting it wrong um <laughs> but what i thought was interesting was there was like this movie seemed very easy to cast where it sounds like mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes and John Leguizamo were in right away. The part was written specifically for Chichi Rodriguez was written specifically for, for John Leguizamo, which again, it's like, I wish that John Leguizamo and Douglas Carter Bean could have like talked about it. Yeah. It was like if John Leguizamo was playing a trans woman and Douglas Carter Bean was like, I, I'm Douglas Carter Bean. <laughs> like he's Douglas Carter Beaning over here. Whatever. But I, I thought it was interesting that it was, I guess, very hard to find a director for this movie, much harder than it was mm. to uh, find stars yeah. where they asked a number of male directors. And every, according to Mitch Cohn, every male director passed. Because of course they did. Of course mm-hmm. they went to right. 15 male directors and they're like, <laughs> get the broad, I guess. <laughs> right. Get the Bridget Jones girl. Okay, here we go. Bring in Bieben. Uh 
you know, it's like I, I for what I'm like, okay, be, you know, Beben Beben did it, uh, mm-hmm. and I I didn't know, I just didn't know who had directed this movie at all, and then also the 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 piece references a lot of how, and I wasn't exactly clear on whether this was true or not, but when the movie came out, there were a lot of kind of you know, light accusations that it was ripping off Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though it sounds like they may have been in production at the same time and Priscilla just came out first, yeah, but they were the, definitely compared a lot. Yeah, they came out really close. And I think it was just one of those like convergent things. But Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was a huge hit that got Oscar nominations and got critical respect that to Wong Fu didn't get. So I think that was just an unfortunate bit of timing on their part, but mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. We should cover Priscilla on the show at some point. It's on our list. You absolutely (laughs) should. Another, uh, except I believe it's been a while since I've seen Priscilla, but I believe that is an actual trans woman played by Terrence Stamp Mm. in in that one. So there is an example of a trans woman in the drag community Mm -hmm. way back in 94, 95. So they, they did it. They did understand that that could happen back then. They just chose to ignore it. Right, because the character in within like in the movie is identified as a trans woman. Yes, and is living as a trans woman, and she wears like regular lady clothes when she's not performing. She just dresses normally. She doesn't. She doesn't pull a pull a Vita and just you know go around in, in full face and and bustier to the gas station. Mm-hmm. Which, the gas station would appreciate that, but that's that's a lot of work. It's the gas station. A lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was definitely in production by the time Priscilla Queen of the Desert came out. So it wasn't like a ripoff in that way. But yeah, most people were like, this is just like an American ripoff of Priscilla. They're just cashing in. Right. Yeah. Also choreography by Kenny Ortega. wait really yeah but then it made me think like what even scenes are choreographed besides like the drag shows so i mean maybe he just choreographed those drag shows at the very beginning and end i wonder um, yeah i think that would be it that's all the choreography that i can recall (laughs) right i love a kenny moment wow shout out Mm. kenny ortega again (laughs) the king of the king of disney channel original movies himself (laughs) yes Um, Let's take a quick break and then we will be right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six x visit tomboyx.com bring a little optimism into your life with the bright side a new kind of daily podcast from hello sunshine hosted by me danielle robay and me simone voice every weekday we're bringing you conversations about culture the latest trends inspiration and so much more thank you for taking the light and you're gonna shine it all over the world and it makes me really happy i never imagined that i would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy listen to the bright side on america's number one podcast network iheart open your free iheart app and search the bright side hi there i'm bob Pittman, chairman and ceo of iheart media Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. 
love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We're back. Um, do we want to unpack that Nagzima monologue that Yeah, I, I think in. it's I think it's relevant. I think it's relevant yeah. to, to understand the time. Now we can avoid certain terms that they were using. Mm-hmm. Just know that they, they use them. They use some outdated terms. Yeah. And most importantly, so Nagzima does this whole are you talking about the one where Nagzima is telling you the different types of gay man you could be. But yeah, just mm-hmm. yeah, basically. Yeah. So Here's what Nagzima says, and yeah, I'll refrain from some of the very outdated language that gets used, yes. but according to Nagzima, quote, when a straight man puts on a dress and gets his sexual kicks, he's a, and then insert outdated word, mm-hmm. um, when a man is a woman trapped in a man's body and has a little operation, he is a insert similar but different a lot of problems with that statement but yes <laughs> yes yeah. lots lots to unpack there beyond just the technical terminology mm-hmm. yes and then when a gay man has too much fashion sense for one gender he is a drag queen yes so these are the three ways in which according to this character someone might wear a dress yeah that hasn't historically been a person that would wear a dress absolutely right yeah. right that's that's what they're saying that's what Nagzima is saying and yeah, yeah it it's... and Nagzima is like explaining this to Chi Chi right for reasons <laughs> right yeah just for conflict reasons it's like they just they're they're just designed not to get along like that's just that's basically you're like Sid Field you know gotta have characters in conflict gotta mm-hmm. that's what Hollywood movies are all about characters arguing with each other so they just invented arguments for them to have. And yeah, it, you know what, though, that for 1995, that, that is even a little outdated, um, <laughs> to say the least. Mm-hmm. But like, but like, that's, that's what people would talk like. That's what people who didn't understand would talk like. And I remember as a closeted trans woman on the internet back then, trans girl, I guess, you know, underage, whatever. But mm-hmm. like back then, you didn't know about pronouns. You didn't know that, you know, throwing the word sex into into the subjunctive of, of a term gives it context that you don't really want to put in there. Mm-hmm. And that's what people thought like. And probably to them and back in the day they were just high fiving each other, like, look at how look at how smart we are. Like we we got this covered. Like this we're educating the audience here. And that's the kind of thing that I said at the top of the episode. I avoided watching this movie because I didn't want to come to terms with certain things about myself because it was too scary mm-hmm. at the time. And that's exactly what that's speaking to. Because, like, that's what I thought. It is exactly what I thought at that time, that you're either one of these three things and there's no other place for you. And none of those sound like me. And none of those sound like very attractive options, except for being a drag queen, which is a fun fucking job. <laughs> That I actually tried and failed at. So, mm. 
because I just I I do not have too much fashion sense. I have barely enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, that stuff. That's why I wanted to talk about this because that was like I didn't get triggered by that scene. You know, I'm an adult. I've been on this planet for a long time. Lots of other things have happened to me, but that re- reminded me of how I thought back then and how a lot of trans women thought back then that I would talk to on the internet. Where they, you know, there was no good place for us. We were either, we were gay men or we were straight men that were just getting their kicks off. And like, there was, there was no place for us unless we had surgery. Mm. But then even then you're still a he, according to this monologue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This monologue misgenders trans women multiple times in one sentence. Multiple times. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely, it does. And operates, like you said, on on the assumption that if you're trans, you have to have surgery. You have to have surgery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which we know better than that now, but uh, kind of we, we kind of don't. In 2021, if I were to get arrested as a trans woman who has not had gender confirmation surgery, has not had bottom surgery, I would go to male prison mm. and I would die. Absolutely. Mm within minutes and that that's a reality it's not my reality but that's a reality that a lot of trans women face they go into male jails they get they get shoved into these unsafe spaces because of their surgical status mm, right and so you know you you you're still to this day you're still being reinforced that you have to have surgery and maybe i will maybe i won't it's not a huge priority for me right now i'm having a good life right now but maybe i'll decide that's what mm-hmm. i want later mm-hmm. But I don't want to feel unsafe. I don't want to. I don't want to. Right. I don't want to have you know some cop in a mall in Tennessee give me a genital check because of whatever stupid law they come up with out there mm-hmm. because of that. So that stuff is still happening, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's that's the reality that we live in. That's and that even then, even the community, even our community had that position, and a lot of us still do. I still to this day, and I don't, I don't mean to like take over the show here, but I still no, to this no, day. Please. We'll run into to gay men that will conflate my sexuality with my gender, with my presentation. I, I, I have a lot of jokes about, about gender. I was at a stand-up show at a gay bar, and I was telling this joke I tell about straight men. Straight men are bad at sex, blah, 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 you know, stuff that we all know. Hey. <laughs> like, then this gay guy starts heckling me. He's like, but if you're having sex with him, he's not straight. Like, yeah, he is. I guarantee you he is. I know from personal experience, this man is straight as a fucking board. Maybe some of them aren't. I've had sex with bi men too. They're fucking fun. But, you know, (laughs) that has nothing to do with that. So that's still, that that attitude is still out there. This guy should have known. He he was a little older, but he was not so old that he didn't, he couldn't have been inundated with this information over the past however many years. Mm -hmm. So this this scene is, is, I think, key to the critique of the film. Mm-hmm. It's a bad scene. It's cringy, absolutely, and it's something I don't, I didn't really enjoy. Mm. But like, as a as a document of this film and the, and, the, and the environment that it came from, it's absolutely key that we discuss it. Yeah, yeah. It's again, it's it's like a something that I wish that the writer had been pressed on at at any time because yeah, you're totally sure. right, Gina. Where it, it's, you know, Douglas Carter being 
chose to write this story. So if he's choosing to write this story, then you have to do your due diligence and talk to people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he also had to have been well aware that he was one of the only writers who was writing a mainstream story like this and how, like, spreading misinformation and half-assing anything like there is a higher risk to doing that because no one else is talking about it to a mainstream audience it's just it's really frustrating and and very of its time but just like uh, it's 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 so frustrating that th- like this scene I don't even know what to say like they're the the, the mental gymnastics you have to do to even get through that mm-hmm. um it was hard to watch monologue. absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah very hard to watch. I, I I audibly gasped at it, and I don't normally do that, but like I did there, and it, it it did take me out of the film for a minute. Yes, I I agree. Should we have pressed the writer? Should someone have pressed the writer? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. as is typically the case, those marginalized people who are perhaps the least marginalized, he's still white and male, mm-hmm. often are the ones that are the first you know on the scene and have an, have an imperfect perspective on it so there you go yeah and then for that monologue to end with the Noxema character and also I think I read a lot of articles about this movie that interpret that monologue in the way that Noxema says like when a gay man has too much fashion sense for one gender he's a drag queen and then that's I read a lot of articles that that people interpreted, okay, so like Noxima is saying that's the category that we fall into. Yeah. Even though I'm like, did you watch the rest of the movie? But um, the and then the way the sentence ends, or like the way the monologue ends is Noxima saying to Chi-Chi, like, you're not a drag queen, you're a boy in a dress. And when you look at it through the context of these are trans women, mm-hmm. And then for another character who, for all intents and purposes, is a trans woman to say that to another trans woman. Yeah. I mean, as as a trans woman, I can tell you trans women are awful to each other sometimes. So (laughs) that happens. Not always. Mm. We're usually quite nice to each other, but Mm. sometimes we're terrible. The, The thing that I took away from that scene, other than what we've been talking about, is that there's really not any motivation for it. And so you kind of have to fall back on what the movie gives you. Like, what is exactly Nagzima's problem with Chi-Chi? And, like, they don't give you a whole lot other than the fact that she's young and that there's this weird racial undercurrent to oh, things yeah. that she says. So, like, you just you get the kind of the impression that Nagzima's kind of a racist, which is which is the motivation behind that scene for her to talk like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's uh, it's like, I just don't trust that Douglas Carter Bean really knows what he's talking about on a lot of levels here. And Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he does. I think you're correct on that, Jamie. I think he does. I, I think that, I think this is what happened. This is what Douglas Carter Bean, in, in my estimation, this is what he did. He, he, he talked to some drag queens and he probably listened in on some drag queens talking to each other. And, you know, you, you're both comedians. You know how people get when they're around each other. And, like, sometimes, especially back then, the humor can get kind of rough and tumble. Mm. And I have no doubt that in 1995, drag queens of different races were throwing racist jokes at each other. Mm-hmm. But it came across kind of ugly in this movie. Like, it was, it wasn't, it just felt racist. It just felt like they were being racist. And that's probably 
what he's missing. He's missing, like, there's supposedly some context here. Right, yeah. And uh, just don't put it in there. <laughs> if you just don't do it, you know, don't, if you can't do it right, and there really is no right way to do it. I mean, some, some things you just don't need to put in, in a PG-13 comedy. Right. A bunch of, a bunch of racist jokes, probably that, probably qualifies as that. So. Yeah, leave them out. It just felt, it just felt like Noxie was being racist toward Chi Chi just because she was being racist. That's because she was racist. Because she kept saying racist stuff to her throughout the entire movie up until that point. It, it just it made the character unlikable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that bit. Now Wesley's doing a great job being the likable person, but that scene was just, ugh. yeah, it's brutal. And and Vita says racist shit constantly too. Like they're yeah mm-hmm. yeah they both and it, yeah. and it kind of for Vita it Vita's character for me is so she's just hard for me because there's so much like I guess I'm interested in in what everybody thinks because it was there were so many times where I was like I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be on Vita's side or not where it seemed like either Noxima or Chi Chi were making a very like valid point to her and she'd be like no we have to do this and I'm like no Vita like listen to your friends and then plot wise she would end up being right like in yeah that happens a few different times, like where mm-hmm. at one point with the cop where Vita's trying to decide, you know, should we stay? Should we leave? And Noxima is kind of like, no, we have to get the fuck out of here. Like, this is a real and present danger. And Vita's like, oh, OK. But it's like Vita's whole core quality being that she, you know, perceives herself to be very pure of heart and, and wants to kind of be this fairy godmother to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happens again with Carol Ann. It's just I don't know. Vita was was tough to crack for me. I think it, I I think that we should discuss the relationship between Vita and and Stalker Channing's character then because that that formed a big component to this film because it really that's where it really bites off more than it can chew. Mm-hmm. Among many other times, it, this is <laughs> this this plot line is where it bites off way more than it can chew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a larger issue that I have with this movie in that it's about three queer characters who end up focusing all of their energy on helping straight people. Oh yeah. And this is like a trope that is commonly seen in like rom-coms yeah. and other genres. This is also a trope in my actual life. So it's <laughs> <laughs> totally a thing. I I I am I I yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, this is a thing. This is a thing that happens. I am I am constantly called in as character witness to to some straight person's wokeitude. That is not fair to you. (laughs) No, it is not. So we see this a lot. Where usually the situation is that there will be a straight protagonist in a movie who has a gay best friend and the only thing the queer best friend is allowed to do in the story is to basically just give advice to the straight person yeah this movie like dials that up and says no the three main characters 
are queer people. So they're not even like the side best friend characters. They are your like right. three core characters yes. and they are still d- doing nothing but helping yeah. straight people who are like the secondary characters. Right. They're, they're still the, the queer advisory board. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. To the point where at the end they're like removed from the action and they're on a, a balcony. They're not even at the party. They're, they're right. Yeah. They're levitating above the. They party. had to hide. Yeah. Yeah. I just I I think the the subplot with the the stalker Channing character. Stalker Channing's character is that that's Carol Ann. Is that her name? Carol Ann. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So her character is is she's running the house that the queens are staying at. And she's in an abusive relationship with her husband. He physically abuses her, and it's pretty out. It's pretty upfront about it. Like it's not. Yeah. Like he's openly abusive and mm. un- unrepentant about it. Does makes no attempt to even hide it or anything else. And everyone just kind of this is this kind of that's what it does. That's what that's what he does. That's how it is. Mm-hmm. And like Vita's purpose in the film at that point becomes you know enabling this enabling Carol Ann to to move on with her life and get this bad man out of it. Mm-hmm. And again, the movie is biting off way more than it can chew at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's totally inconsistent and it, it, you end up just not doing the subplot justice. Granted, you have, you know, really charming actors, Stalker Channing, Patrick Swayze, great performers, great charming performers. Mm-hmm. They do a lot mm-hmm. to sell this stuff. And I think Hollywood movies, especially they are reliant on on the charisma of their of their stars just to sort of paper over the crap that they have written for them <laughs> right because yeah. similar to how after one little like lesson in manners and etiquette Noxima is able to cure a whole group of yeah. bullies who are prone to sexual assault Noxima cures the sexual assaulting bullies <laughs> And then she she makes a mute woman talk. <laughs> like there, she, there's there's a lot there's a lot of translating magic going on in this thing. <laughs> Which the way disability is treated as a gag, like as a joke, with that character is obviously not acceptable. Uh, it's so it it's it's I mean so much about the tone of this movie is bizarre, but where where it it is very much biting off more than it can chew is like well if we want this to be a comedy why why do we keep introducing these beats into the story where exactly it's like yeah. everything is so upsetting why have your inciting incident some sexual assault when they could have just had the car break down like doc hollywood does the same plot line cars from pixar does the same plot line but they don't they're not they're not motivated by this extra character Especially because he's not really posing any threat to them except for the very end of the movie. And then that is very easily resolved. Right. Yeah, they immediately just form a wall and like, that's it. (laughs) And run him back out of town as quick as he came. Yeah. The cop cop storyline is is also just so frustrating because it's like taking a very, very real issue of... I mean, on multiple levels, on how police treat trans women, on how police treat people of color, where he uses like racial slurs back to back, right out there. Yes, this mm-hmm. hard racial slurs, not not even euphemisms. He's going, he's going straight for them. Yeah, and yeah. and and then assaults Vita, and, and like these things all happen back to back to back, and then this character just becomes a cartoon as the movie goes on, and it's. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, well, Douglas Carter Bean, like this is 
a very real issue that it's yeah. like if you want to keep the movie this light, then don't introduce that plot point because it's serious. They could have excised Chris Penn's cop character and not have had any problem whatsoever. They could have yeah. like, every beat could have been preserved without that piece, without that person there. But that's 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 again that's Hollywood stuff. They're like that's a that's an exact question that execs ask. Where's the danger? Where's the conflict? Where's the danger? That's what they they expect, especially when you have queer people. Like queer people in America, well, they have to be in peril. Otherwise, it's not being authentic. This is one thing I read in the contemporaneous reviews is that people were critical of the film not being dark. Like you can't have <laughs> queer characters, and without having the you know run through the the muck because then it's not authentic and like that's how straight people view mm-hmm. queer life and it's not that i mean it is that don't get me wrong i i have an absolute you know i have an absolute heart attack once a week uh just dealing with the straight world and i i have a very sheltered life i do you know i'm i'm, a, I'm in a safe city and like i'm I'm a, yeah. I'm a i'm a white person so i i as far as a trans woman goes i'm pretty sheltered but like i still have to deal with stressful situations Mm-hmm, sure. I just, I just wish that I just wish the film were just better about it, or just didn't put him in there. Like, if you're gonna have this lighthearted romp where everything's fabulous, just be that. It's totally fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the very least, and this is like minuscule and surface level. I was like, at least this is like one of the few movies from this era that isn't afraid to show a cop character being a bad person and a racist and misogynist etc but like again this movie is not equipped to handle like so much (laughs) so much all of of that so yeah just get it out of there but as far as the the subplot with carol ann and vita you know basically empowering her to leave her husband and there's this weird beat at the end where the abusive husband looks at her and it looks like they're going to get back together. They give like this weird wondering about that look at each other. And then he just sort of walks away and it's like, I don't think you get it. <laughs> I don't think you get this, get this at all. Douglas Carter Bean. Right. I was like, was that her being like, now go on and get, or was that her being like, maybe she, yeah. yeah. We're gonna figure this out. Like, yeah, please, no. I, the most, the most generous inter because it's open to interpretation. The most generous interpretation that I'm willing to give it is that she was, she was adopting this power pose to be like, look at what you missed out on. You could have had this empowered woman, mm-hmm. and he begrudgingly gives her the respect of you know not being an asshole and walking away. Uh, yeah, that is the most generous interpretation that I can give to the scene, but it is open to many other interpretations. Yes, yeah, yeah, and 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 Gina, I think you're saying this earlier, but like the the scenes where he's vague physically and verbally abusive to her are very intense and and pretty yeah. explicit in mm-hmm. the way that they're presented, and it's just. I don't know. We we just got to talk to Douglas Carter Bean about all of this because it's just like, okay, the if you want this to be a fun romp, but it would just be so jarring where sometimes something very upsetting uh-huh. would happen and then the music would be like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do and you're just like, well, hold I on. Think, I, think, I think in Douglas Carter Bean's defense, he has a fun name to say, so I'm sure that's why we keep saying it. <laughs> He was he wasn't the composer. He wasn't the editor. That's true. <laughs> so that's on you, the, Rachel. The whole Portman. thing. The whole thing. 
Beaven Kidron, the whole thing is there's a there's probably a lot of people that just you know miss the boat on it. But yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of dissonance. So so when we say Douglas Carter Bean, we're really we're really meeting the executive creative team. <laughs> Yeah. But it's just it's a much more fun thing to say that Douglas Carter Bean. That's, we that's... could say Douglas Carter Bean and company. And yes, company. Yeah. company and company. Yes, At exactly. all. The grand Douglas Carter Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in conclusion, this movie is trying to tackle a lot of things that it's not equipped to tackle. There's also, but it's, and then there's like another confusing component, at least to the cop character where he's hurling these racist slurs. And that's part of what lets us know that he is a bad person. Right. And then the movie turns around and has Vita and Noxima hurl racist slurs and very racially charged comments to Mm Chi Chi. And that's just how the ladies relate to each other, question mark. Yeah, like <laughs> that's exactly. I would be remiss not to at least address Chi-Chi Rodriguez um, as a character. So again, watching this movie, I remember watching the trailers back when I was a kid and seeing Chi-Chi and being like, you know what? I could be her. I'm not fabulous in that way, but like we're, we were very physically similar. Mm-hmm. same size same basic complexion and like i saw myself in that character and that's like another reason why i didn't watch it because i didn't want to see myself in this character i i picked up that chi chi was a trans woman watching it back then because she mm-hmm. she more than any of the other characters she she was moved and was addressed and talked and even though she was very like loud and out there she was she was very much she was much more natural in presentation than than the other two women were mm. like she she was allowed to have a little bit of a romance even though she had to sacrifice it again <sighs> that's for, a whole other thing yeah again 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 we're sacrificing stuff for the straights to be happy mm-hmm. right we're sacrificing our happiness there is an argument that that vita makes where or, or maybe it's noxy that makes this where it's like you know that boy thinks you're hot but wait till you he finds out that he's not you're not what he expects Mm-hmm. That is true. I mean, there there's definitely a safety issue. And that's why I am very upfront when I date anyone mm-hmm. about what I have going on. But like the Chi-Chi character, I really have to applaud Leguizamo's performance in this. And like, and yes, and yes, it's true. He's absolutely correct. This should be, this should have been a trans woman. It, should, it would be a trans woman now if they were to make a remake or, or a musical adaptation like they're planning. Mm-hmm. But he really imbued the character with a naturalism and with like just a, an inherent sort of interior femininity that the, that the maybe the part didn't really call for, mm-hmm. but I picked up on, you know, back then and I was afraid of it. And I, you know, if I had seen that, if I'd been more brave, maybe I would have picked a different path in life. I don't know. Maybe not, but I just wish in some world that she was able to get the boy. Yeah. That storyline. Cause <laughs> so disappointing to me yeah yeah another moment where i was just like vita and yeah <laughs> like vita, why vita 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 come on why are you doing this let <laughs> let the girl be happy let the girl and the and the and the cute country boy be happy together right yeah especially because this this movie it, it sounds like it it is like presenting itself as this like amazing like romp where it's like i feel like the tone of the movie lends itself to chi chi getting the boy the tone would absolutely would have supported that and also that boy is way older 
than Bobby Lee. That was that was not an appropriate <laughs> relationship. Bobby Lee and the Bobbies get together in the end after Chi Chi mm-hmm. lets the boy Bobby down, and like they they like no. <laughs> Girl, Bobby. I was also I was like she's a teenager question mark, but then yes. I looked her up and she's only. I think four or five years younger than John Leguizamo, that actress. Yeah, so, I, I, it was, it she, was confusing. It was confusingly presented. I thought she was supposed to be like fifteen. Yeah, she's characterized as being quite young. Yes, and they did nothing to to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, right. So that was icky. And then, yeah, we 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 have this story where even though Bobby Ray has known Chi Chi for all of twelve hours. He's spray painted a Coca-Cola sign to say like, yeah. I love you, Chi Chi. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the tone kind of, su- again, yeah, the tone supported that. Mm-hmm. It just, it the, the tone, the tone demanded that they get together. And then when they didn't, that felt like a narrative betrayal. That felt wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because their story up until that point is very sweet and pure yeah. and it's you know once they arrive in the town you know it's each of the queens kind of go on this like side quest where for Vita she is with Carol Ann and mm-hmm. then uh Noxima is with Clara and then there's a whole thing going on there that was kind of fun and but with Chi Chi it's like Chi Chi has the best storyline she yeah you know meets Bobby Ray it's very cute they're like falling in love in this very movie like way it could have been it could have been the notebook for trans women is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't. <sighs> missed opportunity. Huge missed opportunity. It really sucked. I was yeah. I was very frustrated that that happened. And and that there is that conversation where all three ladies are in their shared room and I just Vita's so frustrating to me where I mean Vita and Noxima are being very cruel to Chi-Chi in this scene. They're Uh characterizing her as being selfish for wanting to be with Bobby Ray, which is, like, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what what entitles Bobby Lee? Like what entitles? Yeah. Just because she's a cis girl. Like that's, I guess that's it. Yeah. It reminds, it reminds me of some like it hot, Mm -hmm. which is like from the fifties. And in the end, so Jack Lemon is Jack Lemon and, and the other character, they're in they're in drag to basically hide out from the mob yeah. and Jack Lemon's character is is being courted by this guy. And then in the end, like the very ending scene, he's like, you know, I'm actually a man. Like he wasn't trans or anything. He's like, I'm a man, I'm hiding out. Mm-hmm. And that guy that that was courting him the whole time says, Well, you know, nobody's perfect. And that's the last line in the film is nobody's perfect. And like implying that still wants you, Jack yeah. Lemon. Like they did that in the 50s. Yeah. They were okay with that. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe movie, the biggest movie that year had that ending. Yeah. And this movie, four decades later, couldn't even fathom yes. the idea of a trans woman and <laughs> yeah. Bobby Ray. Yes. They, could, they couldn't do a Nobody's Perfect in 1995. <laughs> they did it in 1956, though, right. or whatever. Whenever that movie came out. Right. God. With that context, it's like three times more infuriating. <laughs> and it's uh, that that scene where Chi-Chi is understandably upset that Vita and Noxima are just 
completely ruling out this romance for her and she says another thing that you're just like as a 2021 audience member you're like yeah chi chi is totally right where she is giving Vita shit and saying, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this freakazoid white lady telling a black and Latin lady which way is up, down, and under. And mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of calling Vita out for thinking that she knows what's best for everyone and that her, like, code of morality is the universe's code of morality. But then the plot acts as if Vita was right. And so it's like that's another yeah. narrative example where it's like, well, does the movie just think that Vita's right about goddamn everything i just (laughs) yeah i yeah i i think it does i think i think the movie was just allowing that like pushback like acknowledging hey all this is also a point but also vita's correct because vita is vita's the mother of the cast so Mm -hmm. she has to be the correct one because she's the mother that's what archetypally that's what they were thinking Mm -hmm. i i love doing podcasts like this and i love doing my own podcast that is very similar to this but like I always end up like kind of hating the movie after after we're done talking. I'm like, did I enjoy this? Did I have fun watching this? <laughs> did I laugh most of the time? Uh, I've I've had so many former favorite movies of mine be like, oh fuck, I can't. <laughs> like I was I was literally enjoying this movie two days ago. <laughs> we fucked up with our career choices. <laughs> uh, and it's especially concerning for the movie to make it seem like Vita is right about discouraging Chi Chi from pursuing this relationship when Vita is saying stuff like you're being devious you're lying to this boy because Chi Chi has not disclosed her situation whether that be her like trans status. If there was an arc to that if there was an arc to Vita being shitty and coming to realize later on that she was being shitty that they would that'd be a different story mm-hmm. characters are allowed to be shitty or tonally if, if we're just a movie where people are just shitty to each other mm-hmm. if, if we're just glenn gary glenn ross for trans women that, <laughs> that would have been that would have been a totally different thing mm-hmm. i would watch that glenn gary glenn ross can suck my butt <laughs> wow wow strong word that's, that's a strong response <laughs> i know what i'm choosing for my birthday we're doing glenn gary glenn ross Truly the most boring movie I've ever had the displeasure of watching. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, so tonally, we should, if, if they're going to do that, then we should have seen some, some like come around moment where Vita's like, yeah, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. But of course, the movie doesn't think that she was wrong. That's the problem. Yeah. The movie thinks she's right. Yeah. The movie thinks that trans women shouldn't be with straight boys mm-hmm. these straight boys should be with straight girls and you know never the twain shall meet and that apparently queer people shouldn't be with anybody like well you know for three centered drag queens if we're, if we're trusting the film in its internal logic these are drag queens these are the least sexual drag queens i have ever seen <laughs> i've been around a lot of drag queens and they they are some dirty ladies mm-hmm. like i said i i attempted to do drag in florida bad choice by the way florida not the place to do drag <laughs> if for no other reason the humidity mm. it's, yeah, it's <laughs> of course just, it's uncomfortable very uncomfortable <laughs> but like i you know i you know i had a drag mom and i i had like i had two drag moms i had an evil drag mom and i had a good drag mom Aww. and like the the evil drag mom was on crystal meth and was like this total disaster but taught me all the shortcuts mm. and the good drag mom was very much very much like vita almost the same person 
but taught me like this kind of like backward like republican version of drag <laughs> but they're also you know very horny ladies both of them and that doesn't necessarily not every drag queen not every gay person not every clear person is, is horny but like there was no sex whatsoever with these any of them they were just fabulous and they mostly talked about their outfits and <laughs> you know and and the and the capitalist struggle and like they and i get it it's pg-13 it's, it's a cis film but like yeah. But it's like they had room for racial slurs and no one could be horny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Right. Yes, exactly. They had room for racial slurs. No one could be horny. Take out the racism. Put, put in, in the, the horny. horny. Yeah. yeah. That storyline just really bummed me out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last Vita character assassination that I have to do <laughs> is in that same scene and this is kind of where the where it becomes clear that it's like oh the movie is just is is going with vita's view on things kind of in in this just very clear way of like the movie thinks vita is is the correct person mm-hmm. where they are hearing carol ann be abused by her husband um which mm-hmm. again yeah why why horrible yeah why is this happening in a romp uh and Again, I think Noxima brings up like a pretty nuanced point there where Vita's like, well, we have to go help her. And Noxima says, there are times when you help people. And then there are times that if you help people, you end up being killed. So then you don't help people, which is like a pretty, you know, yeah. I feel like in 1995 logic, it's like, well, you have to help everyone at all times. But like, if you consider the context that Noxima is saying that in, Whereas, again, it's like a, a potential safety issue that it's like, well, you know, I, I she's got a point. what she's saying. Yeah. yeah, she's got a point. She absolutely has a point. But the movie, of course, doesn't reinforce that. There is no actual, they're, they're never in any actual danger. Everything right. is easily solved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I have, that was really weird because like, yeah, Noxie's right. Yeah. Uh, it, unfortunately, Noxie's right. You, you do want to help, but not in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, spirit her away later on when when the coast is clear you know there's a lot of things you could do that aren't you busting down a door and beating the shit out of this guy mm-hmm. and you know putting yourself in danger with the log you know again t- tone of the film mm-hmm. allowed allowed for this to play out in the most in the most flattering way that it could sure this is a fantasy movie it absolutely this is. It's like yes. hard fantasy. It <laughs> unintentionally kept reaffirming the white lady's perspective as the correct one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe intentionally it did. I don't know. But it, it didn't seem it didn't seem to it didn't seem to entertain much room for argument. No. It came down to yeah. it. That's the other thing too with Vita is that she's the only character that we have any backstory on and she's like the white character because they yeah. like they drive through Vita's hometown we find that she's we find out she's estranged from her family that she you know gave up her family's wealth because they didn't accept her and then we don't get any like to be fair they don't do anything with that backstory really but you did find it out yeah you totally just drive on like that's where I used to live oh okay cool moving on well we're on a schedule so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it's like especially weird then to include that since it doesn't even pay off but it doesn't come back yeah you can't help but notice that the other two characters don't get any kind of backstory like that no not really you do at the very least you get a sense of 
what Noxima wants to do. She's like, I'm gonna yeah. go. To, sorry, there's a million sirens, but she like she's like, I'm gonna go to Hollywood and I'm gonna be discovered and I'm gonna be in the pictures and yeah. she's like a huge film buff and right. And she she has an arc, a, a bear arc, but an arc where she's like, Hollywood is gonna have to deal with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she has a little bit of something, but no history, absolutely none. Right? right. Yeah. I did enjoy that scene with her and Clara, the yeah, the the woman that she gets to speak for the first time since I think that the reason she didn't speak for a long time was because her husband left her. It was some yeah, something like that. Husband yeah. related affliction. That 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 has, that has got to be some sort of like anti-bechtel cast. <laughs> anti-bechtel test. The man leaves and the woman can no longer speak at all. <laughs> it's like Ariel the mermaid style just like her voice is in a seashell somewhere. We don't really know. <laughs> he, t- he took the he took the voice with him. Is what happened. <laughs> Packed it up. Oh God! It's with his ties, clunky he- as hell. But I liked that scene between the two of them. I like this scene. Wesley Snipes is very good. They're all very good in this. Wesley Snipes is. It made me wish he had stuck to more comedies. He's so funny in this movie. Yeah. Also, he got totally snubbed because Patrick Swayze and John Leguizamo both got Golden Globe nominations for their roles in this movie, yes. but Wesley Snipes yeah. did not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there you go. That's good old... I mean, that's the Globes, for one yeah, thing. Yeah, that's the Globes. I mean, yeah. We, 2021, we finally canceled them. I mean, it was like, yeah. took us long enough, but like... <laughs> but like, yeah... That's a. There's a lot of cool little scenes in this film. That's a great scene. That's a, that character actress. She's fantastic. Seen her in a million things. Mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes is so good in that scene and so good in this movie in general. That that's the stuff I enjoy. Is the stuff that's not the plot. It's just them hanging out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that's what most people enjoy. Like no like no one really is like when they talk about the positive aspects of this film. They're not like well you know they really that third act turnaround was really awesome. Like they. <laughs> it's just the people being people yeah. which is what most movies are yeah. it's just the people being people yeah it's the queer characters fixing the lives of these straight people <laughs> and um giving them makeovers yeah i was talking to a friend of mine straight woman and she's dating this guy older man in in las vegas and she went to spend the week with him and they were staying at his friend's place for a couple of days and basically his friends were like, we don't understand transgender. <laughs> Explain it to us, white straight lady. And then she, then she was telling me all about how, how she, you know, she explained it to them and they were fighting with her and then she got it. And then she's looking at me like, do I get a, do I get a cookie or something like that? And I'm like, and she's basically, she's like, what, what would you, what would you have done? Well, if I were in that situation is what I said, I would have left. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want. I don't want to educate the straights. That is not your burden to bear. It's no. not my burden. And uh, you know, if a if a room full of Trump supporters is asking me to explain transgender to them, that's a trap. <laughs> I'm I am leaving that room. Yeah, in Vegas, no less. In Vegas, no less. Where there's desert everywhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Leave the room. Break up with the guy whose yeah. friends are those people. <laughs> <laughs> yes go away <laughs> that's like that happens again don't do that just go away yeah uh does anyone have anything else they'd like to talk about you know i 
again, I enjoyed the film for what it was. There's a lot you kind of have to just roll with with this movie. Mm -hmm. But what it was to me is a movie about three trans women that are friends with each other. And even though they say a lot of weird racist shit that isn't necessary or, or, or at all desired, they were friends and they were nice and they had fun. Mm-hmm. And that is a quality in queer cinema that we don't see enough of, especially in the, in the limited experience of trans movies. You know, when I was picking films to discuss with, with y'all, I, I wanted to discuss something trans related because that's my experience. And mm-hmm. I think it's important that people with experience talk about their experiences. Yeah. But I also didn't want to pick like a downer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's a tough one. Like I, I want to talk about queer joy. I want to talk about trans joy. Like that's where, that's where I'm coming from. I'm a comedian. I, yeah. I like, I like fun. <laughs> and so this was what I had to, to work with. And it, and as that, as, Fill in the correct terminology in your own head. When they say drag queen, just say trans woman in your head. Just just make the edit in your own mind mm-hmm. and it'll be a little better. And just ignore, go go make some tea during those couple of scenes that we talked about. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a, it's a fun little romp. It's a fun romp. It and is. yeah, for, for anyone who, especially like when this movie was coming out, when there were so little other options yeah. for queer representation in cinema, especially queer joy. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who saw themselves represented, who saw themselves in those characters, that means a lot. That's We, we don't want to take that away from anyone. Yeah. What we do want to take away from someone is what's the writer's name again we want to take away uh we want to take the pen from douglas carter (laughs) bean and company uh no with all i it's a fun name to say (laughs) really fun to say with all due respect to douglas carter bean uh your name's fun to say we're taking your pen um yeah yeah what what i hope and I, i i Watching this movie, it for all of its faults, it is such a fun romp, and there is so much joy, and it is just like fun to watch these ladies be friends and you know navigate conflict mm-hmm. in a very dated way. But they're navigating conflict in their yeah. friendship, and I I hope that this is the sort of movie that you know just paves the way for for more movies like it that you don't need to you know plow through the dissonance and that there there will be more movies that are just like trans ladies on a road trip like having yes. fun like that sounds mm-hmm. wonderful like let's get that one thing i i did like about this film and, and from 1995 is especially refreshing is that there were no coming out discussions there were no like when did you know you were different type discussions mm-hmm which is basically what so many of queer representation was. It was you were either talking about coming out or you were dealing with some terrible disease and or social affliction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there there was other textures to their life, which was very, very refreshing for, for me to see something from that time that did that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I like that Chi Chi wins at the end. Oh. I mean, that's, that's her consolation prize for, for, you know, losing the boy. She gets she gets the she gets the crown instead of the boy. She has to sacrifice her love for you know to become royalty. Yes, exactly. That's that's, that's her Hedwig and the Angry Inch moment. She's she's just, she mm. sacrifices for success. Oh, that's another movie we have to cover. The last thing, okay, so, 
sorry. This is like, I promised the last thing I had to say. But like Bobby Ray, again, it's just like a character logic thing. But like, he just pivots so quickly where like, he's oh, like, yeah. I'm oh my in love with Chi Chi. Chi Chi's the love of my life. Yeah. And then she's like, not now. And then he's like, I'm going to get married to, I was like, do you just, what is, what's going on in your head, Bobby Ray? Walk me through this. He just loves the woman who is closest to him he yeah, loves love <laughs> whoever he, he is, loves love he's in love with love whoever is geographically closest to him in that moment that's who he loves by the end i was like he's not good enough for you chi chi this, this man has no he's, he's like yeah no he, he really wasn't but like they could have made that into some kind of character quirk that it, they could have played with that but no that was just bad writing yeah it's just that was just Oh, straight people. Now they're being straight together. That's all that's. <laughs> so many things get like too easily resolved or inexplicably resolved or things will go on a weird trajectory that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, so goes the romp. So goes the romp. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the Bechdel test as it yes. applies to this movie if we are operating on these three women being trans women mm -hmm. then yes the movie passes all the time it passes the Bechdel test handily because mm -hmm. the characters are so neutered <laughs> they have no real sexuality except for Chi Chi a little tiny bit she's mm -hmm. basically like she's basically like this 1950s like Peyton Place type ingenue at that point right know? so she's she has she has romantic interest but no sexual interest but the noxie and and vita have have no sexuality whatsoever just about so yes it passes the bechdel test there's probably some other test that it doesn't pass <laughs> we don't know what that test is <laughs> there are there are definite tests it does not pass but um Oh, actually, I do want to shout out the May test, which was created by trans actor and filmmaker Kylie May. And the May test examines trans representation on screen. We will link to some information about that. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I also want to shout out a few lines of dialogue from the movie that I enjoy. Oh. Um, this one is from Carol Ann to Vita says, I think it's really important for a woman to have lady friends. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, are, are you including in these lines, the last bit of dialogue between the two of them, that weird exchange where she's like, I don't think of you as, as a man or as or a woman. As a woman. I think of you as an angel. <laughs> and then, and then Vita responds with, I think that's healthy. That's healthy. <laughs> Vita's response blew my mind. I, you know what though, I actually kind of enjoyed that response because yeah. as a trans woman, I have had plenty of straight women tell me, straight cis women tell me that they think of me as an angel or as you know some sort of superhuman or whatever. Like I've had, I've had plenty of like women confess that I'm some sort of like thing, a, a deity beyond humanity. <laughs> some sort, yeah, some sort of like walking goddess among us. And like, I'm far from that, but <laughs> it's better than, it's better than hate. So, so when Vita says, I think that's healthy, that's kind of my response. It's like, well, it's better than hate. I think that's healthy. I mm. think that's, 
That's something anyways. <laughs> That's what I took away from it. That was the yeah. one that was the yeah. one moment from like Vita's perspective where I'm like, yeah, girl, I I get it. Like <laughs> take take the W. <laughs> take the W and just walk away. Right? I li- I liked Swayze's delivery of that line too. <laughs> yeah. It's just fun. <laughs> uh, and then earlier in the movie, Carol Ann also says and this doesn't technically pass because she mentions men as a concept but she's yeah. like i think we should get rid of all men but i feel like that does pass the bechdel test um because but then also she's like but we can, we can keep mel gibson <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's like oh 1995 baby but then she says he's not allowed to think or speak and i was like that's better okay yeah. as an improvement yeah. if mel gibson has to be alive i too do not want him <laughs> to should, think or speak should not think or speak yes <laughs> Mel Gibson is allowed but only as an automaton that is it Um, yeah and then uh, we've got our nipple scale our scale of 0 to 5 nipples in Uh which we rate the movie based on how it fares looking at it through an intersectional feminist lens so it is as we've discussed very much a product of its time understandings of gender identity, gender expression, sexuality were things that most people in 1995 did not have a very nuanced understanding of. Yeah. Including everyone who made this movie. <laughs> so absolutely unintentional. <laughs> unintentional good stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So, you know, it's not going to fare great because of that. It's not going to um, fare great because of all the casual racism uh-huh. that many of the characters display, including two of which who we are supposed to be rooting for. You know, it's it's got of a lot of problems of the time. But then but then you have, again, like queer representation, <laughs> misguided though it may be in a huge movie with huge stars that a lot of people saw that it does you know celebrate queer joy which was very rare for that time especially but even so i feel like i can only give it like two nipples because 1995 yeah (laughs) bringing it back around to the because 1995 thing i will give one i'll give one to chi chi I'll give one to the conversation between Noxima and what was the character's name? Clara. Clara, yes. Who they talk about movies yeah. and like old yeah. Hollywood stars. I really liked that scene. So. That's very sweet. And I learned yeah. things. Yeah. I was like, I always love when a movie sneakily teaches me something. Right. Yeah. The great, what a great scene. Yeah, yeah. totally. I agree. That scene, Noxima is like, oh, my, one of my favorite actors was i forget the name of the woman but she's like she dorothy she's a black woman but she never yeah dorothy dandridge yeah yeah yeah. she never she never played the help and she was in all these amazing roles but then she you know the the white hollywood machine like chewed her up and spit her out um brb gotta go be racist to chi chi and it's like what are you talking about Maxima? <laughs> and the way that scene ends too where it's like i don't know i i love old hollywood stuff and when clara ends it by being like let's do lena horn next and it was like oh this seems so fun yeah that was, that was a that was a cool little scene scenes where the people are being people are great 
Mm-hmm. I would I would have to rate a slightly higher on the nipple scale only because of its relative. Um, as a queer person, we're so used to being forgiving of our texts, mm-hmm. understanding the flawed as they may be, because they are so rare. We we have to kind of like we have to love them, even though they are imperfect. Mm-hmm. We have to love them anyway because they are ours, and we have so few. Totally fair. So I'm going to give it three nipples based on that and really highly disappointed in the casual racism. And that's probably the thing that makes me detract from it the most, mm-hmm. as well as its incredibly poor depiction of, of domestic violence, mm-hmm. because those are those are completely unnecessary. Those are generally unnecessary anyway, but they're completely unnecessary to the, to the film and the film just leaves them be, basically. Mm-hmm. So... An imperfect vessel of queer joy, yes. I'm going to give it three nipples. Hell yeah. That's how I feel. Awesome. Jamie, what about you? Uh, I guess I guess I'll split the diff and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a two and a half here. I, I mean, I, I don't think that I have anything to say that we haven't said already, but the, the casual racism in particular was really frustrating and unnecessary. And the fact that they were able to justify certain things be like certain instances of violence being there but then they wouldn't allow their three queer main characters to have love lives is just so dare i say 1995 uh yes there there are a lot of elements that watching this in in 2021 are frustrating but i also you know want to hold space for and, and respect for the fact that this movie was made and, and was a success and that it was pushed for at a time where movies like this were not pushed for in the mainstream and this is a fucking Steven Spielberg movie like and and mm. knowing more about the context that this movie was released in you know doesn't fix things doesn't make the most glaring issues that this movie has better but it did help me understand and and you know, at least give, makes me hope, hope for romps like this that are not burdened with the same issues that this movie is burdened with. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they tried. <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, it, it seems like they tried. Uh, okay. Uh, two, two and a half. And yeah. uh, I'll give one to Chi Chi. I'll give... Oh, Naomi Campbell is in this movie for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess I'll give one to her. And uh, I, I will put the last half in, in the trunk of the car and see if anyone mm. finds it later. Great. Just a really quick assign my nipples. I, I've forgotten that this about this part. Oh, quite all right. Critical. Chi-Chi mm-hmm, gets a mm-hmm. nipple, mm-hmm. obviously. I will say Noxie and that's and the the lady in the talking about old movies and Dorothy Andridge mm-hmm. gets a, gets a nipple, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna say that the the final nipple goes to the two Wong Fu scene, which we completely the the very opening scene where well, not very opening but the opening scene where where she's stealing the picture off the wall and they're being mm-hmm. kind of racist toward each other. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> but that scene that bit where Vita steals the picture. I'm giving a nipple to mm. because it's the only transgressive thing Vita does in the entire film. True. <laughs> she is, she is, she is such a saint every time, everywhere else in this movie, but she steals the to Wong Fu picture, steals the Julie Newmar picture because mm. it speaks to her. And then she gives it away to Stockard Channing mm-hmm. as she starts her new life. Yeah. So 
to Vita stealing the Julie Newmar, the inciting incident, the, the titular Julie Newmar Wong Fu picture, I give my final nipple to. Love it. Beautiful. And Gina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much thank for you being for having here. me. Oh, what a treat. Come back anytime. Thank you. I'm sorry we ruined the movie. No, it's okay. Okay, but now that I now that I've been on the show and I've spoken for 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 trans representation, should you have me back on, I'm going to talk about something not trans. Yeah. Because I have more than that to me. I am a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, right. So, yes, yes, yes. Among, among many other things. So we can go on and on about all kinds of stuff the come, next time. Come back Amazing. on for F9? Is that the one that's about F9, to come on? F9, yes, F9. And they bring the Asian dude back from the dead for a second time. <laughs> So, so, so there you go very excited i have only seen the first two and then hobbs and shaw so i need to catch up on my fasts and the furious well, that's just a for instance there's all there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole 120 years of cinema out there yeah that true. i i would love to talk about anytime please so whenever you guys want to have me back We'll, oh. we'll, we'll open it up. We'd be delighted. Love it. And then where can people follow you online and check out your stuff, check out your upcoming tour dates? So all my socials are at Gina Bloom, J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. That's mostly Twitter and Instagram. You can find me in the fall, September. I'll be touring the southern U.S., Asheville, Atlanta, New Orleans, uh, more dates to come. I'll get that up there. And also New York City, because I am originally a New York lady, so I'll be returning there. So it'll, it'll be both the South and New York in the fall. And the uh, new season of my podcast, we, Jamie and Caitlin have already been on, and we had mm-hmm. a delightful time. Yeah. Uh, we'll also be premiering in the fall as well. I talk about movies and other stuff, but it's all, it's all about translating, making fun of bro stuff. So if you enjoy me talking about this you can find me on my show talking about bruce willis movies (laughs) and please do please check it out and you can check us out on instagram and twitter at bechtelcast we've got our patreon aka matreon it's five dollars a month it's two bonus episodes each month plus access to the whole back catalog and it's at patreon.com slash bechtelcast and you can grab some merch if you're so inclined at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast. That's where all the stuff is. Incredible. And with that, to Gina Bloom, thanks for everything. <gasps> the Bechtel Caitlin cast. and Jamie. Aww. <laughs> oh, you guys. That was heartwarming. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you for everything. For everything. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.